Hi, I'm Keith Law, and welcome to episode 32 of The Keith Law Show. My guest today is going to be Nick Picoro, the Arizona Diamondbacks writer for the Arizona Republic and for azcentral.com. First, just a little administrative stuff to get out of the way. I did not have a new piece for subscribers to The Athletic last week. I will make that up to you. I will have a piece going up on Tuesday, should go up on Tuesday, looking at the top players under 25 who will be participating in the postseason with a little bit of an eye towards what they might be able to contribute this postseason because obviously they're not all totally healthy or in their regular roles. So it's going to look a little bit different from an actual prospect ranking. Uh, I also do have a piece. I don't know when it's going to run, but I have written up how I would vote for the six-player postseason awards. I did not have a ballot once again this year. Shocker. So, But that did mean I got to write about all six. So we'll just see. That's, that is TBD when that's actually going to, going to end up running. Uh, for those of you who have already purchased my book, The Inside Game, thank you so much. I just want to mention it probably pretty much every week from now until the holidays since everyone's looking for gift ideas. I'm told that it makes a pretty good gift. At least folks who have bought it. And or received it as gifts have told me that the inside game makes an excellent gift. So I'm just I'm just giving the people what they want, clearly. Also, if you are not currently a subscriber to The Athletic and yet you are still listening to this podcast, I'm not quite sure how you got here, but welcome. You can subscribe to all of our written content at The Athletic, not just my words, but all of the words of all of our many, many talented writers for a $1 a month promo going on now. Just go to theathletic.com slash K-L-A-W. So that's theathletic.com slash claw. a month. It doesn't last forever, but while it lasts, you're getting billions of words, rough estimate, for just $1 a month. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now it's my pleasure to be joined by my longtime friend, Nick Picoro. He is the Diamondbacks beat writer for the Arizona Republic and AZ Central Sports. Uh, He is coming to us from what was COVID Central, but is now going to be the locus for quite a bit of instructional league activity, it turns out. Nick, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me on. So are you in a bubble? Are you hunkered down? (laughs) We're staying safe, yes. Good, yes, good job. How about you? I am fine. Things are tolerable in Delaware. We like to blame all the states around us. Like, we would be fine, except for all those people from New Jersey who come across the Delaware Memorial Bridge. Like, they're the real problem here. Yes, of course. Yes. Uh, So I I just mentioned instructionally, too, because it's kind of been on my mind. Do you think you'll go with the Diamondbacks out of the playoffs? Will you try to stop by their instructional league camp? Um, I would like to. The early indication I got is that there might not be availability. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to. Uh, but you know, given the fact that I haven't seen any of these guys unless they played in the big leagues or or played in the what summer camp or whatever you want to call it, um, yep. it would be it would be really nice for me to get out there, especially as I'm trying to think through what the the prospect lists are going to look like this year. Yeah, I've had a similar conversation. I talked to two different pro scouts earlier today. And we were all sort of saying the same thing. Like they're they're more likely to get in because there's a reciprocal agreement. If your team is allowing scouts into your camp, then your scouts will be allowed into other teams' camps. But they've also heard that availability is going to be limited and coaches and players have been told not to interact with any scouts or if there's media there. So it yeah, it's 
for me, for you, obviously it's local. For me, it's a question of, is it worth getting on the plane to go out there and potentially not be able to see stuff? So, but I would love to, right? I haven't sit like you. I haven't seen yeah. guys this year. It's weird to, I know you like to focus on the farm system. You like to go see these guys when you can. And yeah, it's been really strange to not have any of that. And yet know that some of them are going to be playing right there, right in your backyard and you can't go see them. And that some of them have probably been developing, you know, behind the scenes. Um, I, I'm sure for a lot of guys, it is a lost season, but I'm sure others have been working on things and getting better, whether there's been a season or not. And I mean, that's the thing I'm curious about is just, you know, how, how much, uh, how how does Christian Robinson's you know ap- approach at the plate look? You know what does Tommy Henry's secondary stuff look like, or whoever it might be on the Diamondbacks? Just you know how how much have they progressed from where they were? Right. Yes. That to miss out on that is. I mean, we're all running into the same problem, obviously. And I, people who've listened to my podcast are probably tired of hearing me talk about it, hearing me complain about it. So let's talk about some major league stuff. Obviously following the Diamondbacks, uh, you've seen probably a lot more of the teams in the NL West. So what, how about some general impressions, particularly of the, you know, let's set the Rockies aside just for the moment, but the Dodgers and Padres are going to the playoffs and the Giants who just barely missed the playoffs yesterday. Give me any, any of your general thoughts on whichever of those teams you'd like to mention. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, my, <laughs> the teams that are most, most fresh on my mind are kind of the two train wrecks of the Western, uh, divisions, which are the, <laughs> the Rangers and the Rockies. Those are the okay, teams well, go we ahead. Yeah. most recently. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, gosh, the Rockies, I don't know where they go from here, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I, I, I just feel like that team is, that organization is just, it, it just has been really struggling to find its footing for a long time. Um, I, I was kind of heartened by the fact that they went out and uh, got Kevin Pillar midway through the season, sort of a little bit of a nod to the fact that, yeah, we play in one of the biggest outfields in baseball and in a division uh, where there's a lot of big outfields, and maybe outfield defense is kind of important. Um, and it's it's just been the strangest thing over the years watching them run certain guys out there, whether it's David Dahl in, in center field or, or you know Ian Desmond or whoever, guys that just aren't you know, elite defenders in, in center field. It just feels like that's just one example, but it feels like there's so many of, of why that franchise just doesn't seem to be able to get things on the right track. Um, I I was also amazed yesterday. I don't know if you realize this, but that Daniel Murphy contract has a $6 million buyout for next season. They're going to have to pay him $6 million to go away. And he looks just terrible. Um, Yep. Shocker. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, I, I actually I'm surprised at the way that that deal worked out um, because I I really thought that he was still going to hit at the, you know, m- maybe last year. Um, mm-hmm. I I kind of expected a little bit of a decline, but I, I didn't expect him to be a subpar hitter um, just right out of the gate and then through the life of the contract. Um, and I mean, the Rangers, man, I don't I don't know. They had a lot of injuries. I, I get that. Um, and they're, you know, we're trying to rebuild and trying to get things going for the stadium. Um, it didn't get there obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, what else in the West of it? The Dodgers are, are pretty good. I I've heard say. that. Yes. Um, I was, I was pretty, I was pretty encouraged by what I saw from the giants. It was sort of a confusing season. I feel like, um, I don't know, like I, I, I we would see them a couple of times and I would, I would kind of be like, okay, so wait, is Brandon Belt? finished or is he like actually amazing and i felt the same way about like (laughs) brandon crawford at times evan longoria looked better than i'd uh, than i'd seen him in several years um he looked terrific 
Um, and then, you know, Alex Dickerson is like the streakiest player in baseball. Uh, you know, I, I was, I was just pretty impressed by like their ability to put together a relatively competitive lineup one through six. I know they missed out. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I don't, I don't know exactly what's going on, in the, nor does anybody in, in their minor league system, but I, I right. kind of <laughs> feel better about, about them than I, than I would have, uh, would have thought I, I would at the beginning of the year. Well, I think it's interesting that Farhan Zaidi came from the Dodgers. Before that, he was with the A's. And I look at this Giants lineup. I've looked at them all season. But like, this feels like a very Oakland A's lineup that they just sort of grabbed a bunch of guys from other systems who just, you know, underappreciated by other clubs or got squeezed out of playing time. I mean, Dickerson's played for a bunch of organizations. Mike Estremsi couldn't even get a, a spring training invite when he was with the Orioles. And I don't think Mike Estremsi is actually this kind of player, but the Orioles weren't going so good that they could say, well, we don't even want him in camp in spring training. Wilmer Flores was productive. I don't know where the heck Donovan Solano came from, but all these guys came to San Francisco and started producing at least capably well. So they put together like a really competent lineup for not a lot of investment. They didn't trade prospects. They didn't spend a ton of money on it. They turned out to be a competitive team, which I think is all that their fans could have asked for in this season, giving people like, if you were a giants fan this year, you probably came in with low expectations and they stayed in the playoff race until the very last day, which I'm sure it's disappointing. But if you look back to what you were thinking 60 games ago, that probably sounds like a win. Yep. Yep. I, I totally agree. I mean, another guy, Darren Ruff, they, they found yeah. him out kind of off the scrap heap, right. And found a, a weapon against left-handed pitching. Um, I don't know. Do you want to talk about the Padres? I mean, we, we sure. uh, I'm I, practically a Padres fan with how much I've <laughs> talked about their farm system. So we might as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it was impressive to, to actually get to watch them, you know, uh, kind of put it together for the first time in, in forever. Um, and they were just really fun to watch too. Um, which is another thing that like, I can't remember saying about the Padres in a really long time. Um, whether it's, you know, Trent Grisham, um, you know, getting a, a little emotional, I guess you could say, after a home run off of Kershaw. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Tatis is obviously really exciting. Machado is not a guy I would want to be the highest paid player on my team. Um, but I think that what we saw this year is a little evidence that he sort of, uh, what's the, what's not plays to the level of the competition, but plays to the level of maybe the talent around him in a mm-hmm. way. Like, I, I feel like last year he was just, kind of in cruise control from beginning to end. I think he recognized this team is is not very good. I'm I'm clearly the best player on it. And, you know, for whatever reason he was at 75-80% the whole way. And we saw this year when uh when everything kind of ramped up and everybody, you know, around him was performing, um, he turned it on. And, you know, I don't think anybody would have ever would have said that it was like that that they were throwing the money away or it was a, you know, an absolutely awful contract. But I do think that you you see the way that he performed. You feel better about it. You feel better about about you know the the, the long term uh, value that he can bring. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like just the additions of guys like and maybe you've talked about this a lot on, on your podcast. I'm not sure, but I just feel like the additions of guys like Grisham and uh, Cronenworth, guys that can actually take at bats and see pitches and um, just kind of be competitive. I know Fam uh, got hurt, uh, but was able to do that for a lot of the year as well. It just changed the whole um, makeup of that lineup, and you know, it, it suddenly went from a, a team that you would look up and and you know, when I'm covering games, Diamondbacks pitchers would be at like 32 pitches through three innings, and now it's like you're having to actually work to get through a lineup. 
I they picked up Jerkson Profar, who was you know, cast off by the Rangers, went to the A's, was really awful last year. And Padres picked him up for for not very much, not for not for prospects there or players they were really gonna miss. And he had the best year of his career. And you mentioned Cronenworth, who was the kind of an afterthought in that deal. Somebody pointed out when I wrote up the trade that brought him over to San Diego, I don't think I mentioned him, uh, which is weird because I knew who he was. And he was actually interesting because he was a two-way guy in right. AAA. And people thought he could do that. I wonder if he maybe hadn't hit as well as he'd hit. Would he have maybe gotten more of a chance to pitch? I don't know. It's all kind of academic. But like Grisham takes really good at-bats and kind of always has. Profar always had great plate discipline. Cronenworth turns out to have a really good eye. They pick up Austin Nola, who even when he didn't hit as a prospect, he didn't look like a prospect, looked like just an organizational catcher. He could really work the count. I thought it was interesting that for a while, the San Diego team was full of guys who were really athletically talented, graded out well in specific tools, but they had almost nobody who worked the count. They just did not have high-end base percentages in the system, and a lot of these guys were not high-walk guys. I feel like a lot of them didn't have a great feel for the game. Like it's yeah. just kind of a simple way of putting it, but I, I just felt like it was just not a lot of, it was more athletes than baseball players. Yep. No, I think that's an AJ Preller thing. And obviously he's not making the draft picks necessarily, but that was his approach when he was running international, very involved in the amateur side. When he was with Texas too, it's just get me athletes, get me tools, tools, get me guys. Yeah. Big ceiling guys, which is fine. At some point, some of those guys have to put it together. And I think it, Profar to me is one of the more interesting ones because he was less toolsy when he was, AJ first signed him when he was with Texas. He had tools but he really had polish. He really had feel for the game. And then he missed two years. And honestly, I was at the point with Profar was like, maybe I was wrong. Maybe this guy was just never that good. And you can't blame it on the injuries forever. And he started out bad this year too. It was Terrible. almost as, as Tatis started to get worse because Tatis really struggled after the last time you saw him. He, Tatis wasn't right. as good in September. I didn't see Profar good this year. But I bet you saw Tatis amazing. Right. Yeah. So you look in September, it was completely the other way around, which is one, I think, a credit to the Padres too, that they had the depth when Tatis stopped hitting like the MVP. They had other guys who could step up, but that um, also that they had brought in guys who compl- I thought complemented them pretty well in the lineup. Some of these guys who could take more pitches. Um, you know, I think if I look at the Padres now, it's more, you know, thinking about them in the postseason. I'm probably more concerned about the rotation. Chris Paddock wasn't the same guy. Right. Garrett Richards is fine for the back end. Mike Clevenger, I don't know exactly what his status. I don't think we any, any of us knows what his status is going to be. They or might Lamette. be running or Lamette. Yeah. So you know they have one super Zach Davies, another great trade for them, and then a lot of question marks. Would be a shame because I like the Padres. I want to see them advance because I want these guys on TV. I want more fans to see them, but I also recognize their sort of hobbling a little bit into the postseason. Yeah, they're not talking about bringing up Gore yet, are they? I haven't heard that. I really thought that we would see him at the end of the season, yeah. even just in a relief role, because his stuff, even if you think he's not going to come up and throw a ton of strikes right away, which I have no reason to believe that, but if they were worried about that, his stuff, you've seen him, he's, he's going to miss just miss a lot of bats with pure stuff. Yeah. And with that high leg kick, too, I think that freaks everybody <laughs> out. Yeah. Kind of freaks um, me out, because I'm like, how does he not fall over? Can we talk about, let's talk about the Dodgers. I, yes. I am curious sure. what... How how um oh let me ask you a bigger picture question than about the Do- than about the Dodgers before we get to them specifically. Mm-hmm. Do you think that a, a championship in twenty twenty will be legitimate? And did you think that on July twenty whatever, twenty fourth when the season began, has your opinion on that changed uh today? I would say yes and yes. Um trade so yes, I believed that two months ago. Yes, I believe it now. I understand lots of people will not think that way. 
I went into the season, I know, and I know I said this in various places too. And I want, I want you to tell me what you think too, uh, since you posed the question. But I said, we're getting baseball. If we get through the season and we get through a postseason and we get a champion, I'm in. I know we tweaked things. I know we changed the rules. I know we had the stupid runner on second and extra innings thing, which right. will never not annoy me. Uh, it's you know what it's fine. I'm happy we got baseball. I I can't believe I'm talking to you on September 28th and we got through the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. No, I right? agree. Yeah, yeah. That that was that was how I saw it too. I mean, I I didn't. Well, actually, that that was part of what I saw for sure. Um, I I didn't think we were going to get this far. I thought that if we did get this far, we would have had a bunch more outbreaks, um, a lot more people opting out, more mm-hmm. of a kind of a B team of of you know big leaguers across baseball. Um, you know, I, I just imagined a scenario where you remember when the Marlins outbreak happened and Isan Diaz opts out, like, I just sort of imagine there being a couple of positives here and there. And then like, boom, like, you know, five yep. guys on a team are like, okay, you know what? I'm out. Like yep. uh, this, this isn't worth it. Um, so I got to give them credit for getting as far as they did and doing as good of a job as they did. Um, and I, I, I think that because they, because we are where we are, um, I, I do feel like, a uh, well, okay. Uh, that that kind of brings me to the next thing. I feel like depending on who wins, I will feel like this is a legitimate championship. If the Marlins or who the Brewers were the last team to get in yesterday, yes, they were correct. If they if they are the ones that end up catching fire and and winning the World Series, I think it's going to be. I, I'm, it's not going to mean as much to me. I feel the opposite about the Dodgers. I almost feel like it would mean more. Um, you know, they would be getting through a round of playoffs that did not exist. Otherwise, um, they'll be going through all of the, you know, kind of difficulties of having no off days, all that. Um, and look, the Dodgers, what, what were they? 43 and 17. My God. Yeah. Um, right. 43 and 17. They were, they were getting in if it was a 60 game season, a 100 game season, a 500 game season, they are making the playoffs. Um, so their, their place in it is not up for debate. And I just feel like, I, I don't know, I, I hope that people, if, if they do end up winning it, I hope that people recognize it as being legitimate um, because I, I just, I don't see any real reason why it wouldn't be if, it, if it's them. I will probably share, like I, I will be irked if one of these eight seeds wins. But you know what? I was also irked when I was a kid and wasn't it Villanova was, they were like a 10th seed. They did it again too, right? You know, they were... They won March Madness back when right. I cared about such such stuff as a kid. I haven't followed March Madness in forever, but you know things like that. It's there's always a come on, right? They're not the best mm-hmm. team, especially because so many people conflate winning the championship with being the best team. And I think you have to divorce the two in your mind. That say we can talk kind of on paper about who was the best team. That should not detract or even cross over to a conversation about the championship because whoever won the championship, they won, right? That's the goal. That's the whole goal. And you just accept if you follow sports, you accept that all of these processes to determine a champion are imperfect and they do not necessarily put the best team in the championship. And I may get annoyed and I know just because we're friends and we've talked about this, we don't love the narratives that say, well, this team was actually better because they rose to the occasion or they wanted it more or all that other nonsense, but whatever, that's, that's just it. That's the process. That's how we get champions. And we just accept that for what it is. And 
and I'm fine with that. And I would not like to see anyone, I think, I feel like particularly maybe non-baseball fans coming in and saying, well, that's not legitimate because it was only a 60 game season. And I won't, even if privately, I'm sort of like, I can't believe the Brewers won the World Series. You know, it was the eighth seed. I'll probably keep that inside this year because I certainly don't want to join the chorus of people saying, ah, it's a fake season. It's not a real championship because that's bogus. Well, do you think, uh, do you think the Dodgers are the, the clear cut favorites going into this? Do you, if, I mean, I'm, I'm, I did predictions. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did. I don't know if you've had to put predictions, predictions out anywhere. We did at the athletic. I had Rays over Dodgers in the world series. My predictions were pretty chalk actually. And I joked about just using dice, to pick the winners because who knows, right? I mean, who who knows? Yeah. In in a typical postseason, it's hard enough. But now at this point, I feel like any player at any time could opt out or get hurt. We've so, seen so many pitchers get hurt without any advance warning. Some team that you think is going to race through loses their best starter. And then, oh, okay, well, now they went from like clear favorites to underdogs because of the short series format, not because the team itself yeah. is all that different. So I feel like I... I Looked at it and said, I'm not going to overthink this. In almost every series, maybe two exceptions, I just picked the team that had the better record during the season because I'm not I'm not smart enough to predict all this randomness. Yeah, it's, I, I haven't seen enough of the Rays, but it's hard for me to imagine going against the Dodgers. Um, I mean, they were the – at one point – I mean, I, I looked a couple weeks ago, and I don't know how much changed. They like were top three in pitching – top three in offense. They were, I think, way ahead on defensive runs saved. They just kind of do everything so well. Um, I'm not sure. I, I know they have a very deep team in a lot of ways. Uh, I'm not sure how the, the postseason schedule is going to help them or hurt them. I mean, I think it would have been nice for them if they could shift certain starters into the bullpen. Um, I guess that might not be able to happen if uh, if you're having to play every day. Um but uh, but I mean you know Mookie obviously changes so much about about that offense. Um, it's no longer such a kind of three true outcome type of a deal. Um, and I, I don't know how he's going at the moment. When we saw him early on, he was so locked in, um, and he's just so fun to watch. He just does everything well. He's he uh, made like one of the best throws I've ever seen from right field to to throw out Cattell Marte at third. I think Marty was trying to go first to third on a single right down the line. Um, he made kind of like perfect decisions every time he was on the bases, which was a lot. Um, just like knew exactly when to to try to stretch something or when to get aggressive. Um, and then you know, obviously, he's just such a good hitter. Um, but yeah, and and Seager is Seager looks really good, probably better than I've ever seen him. And and I kind of wonder if I don't know. I don't I. I know he's had, you know, he had the double surgeries a couple of years ago and, you know, time removed from that is important, but he also kind of just looks a little bit different at the plate. He looks a little bit like he's using the whole field um, more willingly than in the past. And I, I wonder how much of that is an adjustment he's, he's, uh, you know, bought into. He's always kind of struck me as a little stubborn as a hitter. Um, so it was kind of nice for me to see him uh, hitting the way that he was this year. So let's talk a little bit of Diamondbacks, um, since that is the team you cover. Obviously, they didn't go to the postseason. I think they probably would say that is a disappointment. Like they, I, yeah, yeah. I think they went into the season thinking they had a pretty good chance to make For expanded sure. playoffs, right? For sure. So 
they they thought they thought they were getting in before the playoffs were expanded. I th- I think. Yeah, I think that's probably yeah. right. Just from talking to guys there, and I don't, I don't think they were unreasonable in those expectations. Right. So so top level first, what at a macro level do you think went wrong for them this year? Well, everything I guess. Uh, but I mean, they didn't hit. That was probably the thing that that from the very beginning, um, they they just had underperformance from like kind of everybody in that lineup, uh, particularly early on. Um, they uh, I think allowed the the length of the season to get in their heads um, and allowed the the kind of I, I I think everybody didn't really know how to how to play it going in. You know, like like you didn't know like you know is is every game r- like really worth three times as much do we do we really need to panic and and you know we can't lose this game the first week of the season and and i i think a lot of it was um you know guys maybe looking up and and seeing what their numbers were at a particular point knowing that they don't have four months on the back end to make up for it and thinking okay well i got to get two hits tonight i got to get three hits tonight if i'm going to get my numbers to where i want them to be and just sort of allowing the kind of that psychological aspect to mess with them. Um, you know, Bumgarner was terrible. His stuff was down. Um, he was better at the end, uh, but and and his stuff did come back a little bit. Um, but that was a big problem. Uh, Luke Weaver was really bad. Um, you know, Zach Allen was tremendous. I wanted to ask about him. Like, talk, tell you know, he was because they traded their best prospect, Jazz Chisholm, to get him, and Jazz got to the big leagues this year. And like, he wasn't great, but he showed flashes. So, yeah. But Gallon, he's terrific. was their best starter, yeah, right? He's, yeah. he's got four pitches. Uh, he commands it really well. He's aggressive. Um, you know, his pitches all look very similar uh, coming out of the hand. Um, so it's hard to hard for hitters to differentiate. And he just doesn't make mistakes over the middle of the plate. Um, he's, he's really good. I mean, he's not like, he's not gonna, you know, he's not DeGrom. He's not going to be hitting 98, 99, hundred. Um, but he's got 94, 95 occasionally. Um, he's going to sit 92, 93. And he's, like I said, I mean, he, he's just got like three other secondary pitches that are average or, or much better on certain days. And that's, a, that's the thing that we noticed too. And, and that's just, you know, the, the sign of a, of a pitcher with a deep repertoire that, you know, those days when he doesn't have one of them or doesn't have two of them, he's still got that other secondary pitch. So he's just, he, he's just as, is, is he's just kind of seems like he's a, a more developed and well-rounded pitcher than his age and experience would suggest. When they got him, one of the Diamondbacks people essentially described him to me, and I'm paraphrasing here, but as a, a bet on pitch characteristics, which to me, and so for listeners who don't know what I'm talking about, it's the things beyond just, say, his pure velocity, the type of data that teams are getting from StatCast or from similar systems, which I thought was particularly interesting because the Diamondbacks have never really had people who ran the right. organization like that. And it's not that they're anti-scouting at all, but that this was kind of a blend of everything. Because I'd seen Gallon, I never thought he was, I, I didn't think he was this. I absolutely didn't think he was this. Because if you just sit behind the plate for one start and watch him, his stuff doesn't blow you away. There's no single pitch there that looks like, wow, that's a, that is a wipeout pitch. I think too, the stuff has gotten better. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, I mean, if you search, you know, Twitter for pitching ninja, Zach Gallon, you're going to yeah. see some pitches that are going to blow you away. You know, like mm-hmm. he's, he does have occasionally some, some changeups that are just really filthy, some curveballs that are some, some sliders, cutters, whatever they are that, whatever he calls them. Um, but you're right. I, I think, uh, I mentioned this earlier, but a thing that I've I've been told about him that they were attracted to is the fact that his pitches all look 
I don't know if you'd call it tunneling or exactly what you'd call it. His pitches all look very similar, closer to the plate than other pitchers. So as a hitter, you're having to decide before you want to whether you think this pitch is a fastball, a slider, a curveball, whatever it might be. They they all look so similar coming out of his hand. Um, and, and, uh, it just makes him, it makes him really tough. I mean, it's gosh, man, I, Granky would do this too. Um, and, and I, I don't mean to drop a Granky comp on the guy, but it's, it's does kind of remind me a little bit of, of him, um, Flaherty too. It's kind of, he's kind of got a little bit of Flaherty in him where like he just yeah carves that through one. these lineups with, with such ease. Um, like he, you know, we'll sometimes see like these, like, eight, nine, 10 pitch innings. And you're just like, or he'll get himself into a second and third, nobody out. And then like you look up 10 pitches later, he's got a double play ball and he struck a guy out and the innings over. Um, he just has this ability to, to, to dominate kind of quietly in a way he does have some bouts, um, of wildness from time to time. The command can come and go. Um, I think he was even talking about this the other day that he had three starts this season where he had 14 walks combined He's like, you know, I, that that can't happen. Um, so I mean, he's he's got some things to work on, but he's real good, real good. You mentioned Luke Weaver too, and I I was always probably more a skeptic that Weaver could start. But the main objection I always had to him was that he never had a breaking ball. He just couldn't seem to spin it at all. He's just gonna have trouble getting being right on right. But he always had a decent changeup, and yet this year he just kind of had didn't have any of that. Yes, last year he had the cutter and the curveball both, um, and it really mm-hmm. changed what he was. Um, for whatever reason, this year those pitches were not there for him, um, and he kind of scrapped them both as the season went along. But you're absolutely right. Um, you know that's an important thing for him. He needs to get those pitches. Uh, he stayed healthy. Uh, that's good. Uh, the, yeah. the durability was an issue last year. I still think with him, it's 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 the the depth of the repertoire and it's a matter of confidence i think a lot of times he goes out there and um is sometimes like a a well-placed fastball getting hit really hard mm-hmm. away from starting to nibble you know like i think that just because you give up a hard hit ball here and there like he's got really good stuff man i mean I, like he does throw real hard he does yeah he's got a quick arm up. he should yeah. have more confidence i think in himself at times and i think that's a thing he sometimes battles Yep. Um, last question I wanted to ask actually was the uh, so just getting getting back to the big picture. Then thinking about the Diamondbacks going forward too, especially because there were comments from Ken Kendrick where I think he pretty much indicated they were going to try to cut payroll for next year too. You know, where do you see them going just in the near term? Because I think long term they're actually in pretty good shape. Farm system's strong. They've done a really nice job in the draft. They've done a really nice job internationally. But what is the short term? What do you think the short term looks like for the Diamondbacks? It does sound like they're going to cut payroll. I mean, and that's that's the biggest question is like how far back are they going to cut it? Because they're going to have some things they're going to need to address. Um, I mean, look, their their lineup is like it's not a it's not bad players. Um, it it kind of feels to me like we're in the same spot that they were in like a couple of years ago at this mm-hmm. point, where you know Goldschmidt's gone, Pollock's gone, and you're kind of wondering like, okay, so who's going to be the the big force in this lineup? It looked like last year it was going to be Cattell. After what we saw from him this year, maybe it's not going to be Cattell. Maybe he's something a little bit in between what he was this year and what he was last year. Um, and then on the pitching staff, you kind of feel the same way. They do have Gallon, but it's a lot of guys that like you're going to be kind of banking on bounce backs. You know, guys that profile. You know, at this point, probably with Bumgarner, probably more of a mid to back end type of starter 
Weaver, Merrill Kelly, if he's healthy, Caleb Smith, who they acquired for Starling Marte. There's just not a ton, I don't feel like, of predictable upside. Like there's some upside in there and, and maybe it comes out, but I don't feel super comfortable sitting here and, and saying like, I see a lot of guys on this team that are going to put up, you know, five win seasons or something like that. And I feel like that's a bit of a problem. Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Dalton Varsho looked good for the end of his season. Uh, that's a guy that, that could maybe turn into that sort of player. Um, and then like, you know, kind of back to what we were saying at the beginning, I don't, I don't know what to make of a lot of guys in their farm system. I think they have a lot of good players. Um, but it's, it's hard to sit here and say like Corbin Carroll or Alec Thomas or Christian Robinson even are going to be those guys without that, you know, year of development that we normally are able to see. Um, so I, I agree. They have a lot of depth. They have a, or they have a lot of depth in the system. Um, and they've done a good job kind of building that up. I don't, I don't know who are going to be like the big foundational pieces going forward for this organization. I think that's an interesting question. My guest today has been Nick Picoro. He covers the Diamondbacks for the Arizona Republic. You can follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Picoro, P-I-E-C-O-R-O on the Twitters. Nick, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Keith. Thanks for having me. That's all for this week's show. Thank you all so much for listening. I will be back next week. I also want to thank all of you. I just looked at the iTunes page for this podcast the other day. I see so many very kind reviews, lots and lots of five-star ratings. I really appreciate all of that. Uh, if you're if someone passed you this show, you're not currently subscribing, you can subscribe on iTunes, you can subscribe on Spotify, it's on Stitcher, and as of about two weeks ago, it is now on Amazon Podcasts, which appears to be pretty new, but I checked all of our great podcasts here at The Athletic are uh, appear to be available on Amazon, so you can subscribe there as well. And if you did enjoy this and you are a subscriber, please feel free to share it with a friend who also likes baseball. Uh, we always appreciate new listeners. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. Wear your masks. Take care.